Welcome to The Silent Lotus. I'm Suditi. And I'm Suhita. We are two South Asian women who are very young and a little bit worn out from the world. Join us on our journeys of tackling our health, self-care, and mustache hairs. A gentle reminder that we are not experts, just two young women hosting a podcast. We encourage you to seek out support from a trained health professional as needed. Welcome to The Silent Lotus. So every week before we begin answering the wonderful questions submitted by our listeners, we just want to take the time to share one positive thing from our week. And as we do that, we definitely want to encourage our listeners to do the same. Just look back and think about one thing that made you smile this week. So Siddhiti, what is one highlight from your week? I love that. Um, I would say the highlight of my week has absolutely been the Hamilton movie coming out on Disney+. Plus. Um, Wow. I have been, yeah, subscribed to the Hamilton fandom since like 2016. Uh, Not that I'm cool. That's like when it became trendy, but whatever. Um, Longtime fan, was obviously never able to see it with the original cast. Um, Cost an arm and a leg. It was like halfway across the world for me. But so it was like absolutely amazing to see it. It's like shot beautifully. And if you are debating it, if you're a Hamilton fan or if you're not a Hamilton fan, whatever, whoever you may be, dear listener. Spend the $6.99, get Disney Plus if you don't already have it, and watch the movie. It is, it's magical. That's all. <laughs> That's the only way I can describe it. But Sutha, what about you? First of all, Disney Plus is so worth it. I have it even before I've heard about Hamilton. Mm. So worth the money, just putting that out there. I am watching Hamilton tonight, so that's one thing to look forward to. I'm also baking cupcakes, which I think will end up being the proper highlight of my week. <laughs> but in terms of things that have already happened, Honestly, this is really small, but it definitely made my day when I did it. It's like I finally painted my nails for the first time in like a year. I love that. Um, Wow. And I truly felt like a new person and like a badass woman. Yeah. Um, And I'm really here for it. Yeah. You like look at your hand and you're like, damn, like she's put together. Exactly. (laughs) Which is, it is like a very low friction, easy thing to do, but Mm -hmm. it was like the perfect pick me up for a quarantine day. I could not agree more. Speaking of quarantine, we have a question from our first listener. We're not our first listener. Our first question question. from a listener. Yeah, that transition worked really well. Wow. Perfect. Let's jump into it. Okay. So our first listener question is, how did you manage the shift in life from school life to coronavirus and being at home? Great question. Topical as ever, seeing as the quarantine or self-isolation period is not ending anytime soon, at least here in the Northeast. So what have I been doing? I have, by and large, been struggling, I will say. Before I like recite any of these things that I've done to help me, I would say that quarantine has been a big struggle. It's, I think the main thing that I've realized is like, the hit of serotonin that you get every time you socialize with someone. I think I really took that for granted in my life. Um, Like living in college where college is such a social experience and going to having like, you know, a couple Zoom calls with friends here and there. It's just not not enough. Not the same at all. Um, So to help me during this time, I've done a couple of things. The first is um, I function by and large off of routine in college. Like in the morning I wake up and I have to do a certain amount of things. That for me includes exercise first thing after I wake up in the morning um, and waking up early to do said exercise because you know you have to get to, I mean at school it was like get to class at 9 a.m. Now it's like get to my meeting at 9 a.m. or whatever. Um, so I've kept up with that. I 
waking up around seven and like usually going for a morning run. Um, and that really, really helps getting outside, just having some alone time, uh, not staring at a screen, looking at, you know, I mean, where I live is pretty green. So that's also nice. Um, Another thing that I do as a part of this morning routine is, this is something that I recently started. Um, I am not really one for like paper lists or paper journals or any of that kind of stuff. I'm like a pretty paper-free person in my general life, but I heard about this app called Day, I think it's called Day One Journaling App. I'll link to it in the show notes. And you can basically create like a template for yourself that you use to journal every day, or you can just kind of do a free form. Like you wake up every day and you want to share something. There's even options to share pictures and videos and write quotes down. And so I just have a little template where I, at the very least, write down three things that I'm grateful for. It just puts me in a better mindset to start my day. Even, and not just like, oh, I'm grateful, you know, for my bed and like that I got seven hours of sleep, but I try and think a little bit more deeply about it. Um, And that does help me to kind of like see some positivity when everything feels kind of bleak sometimes. And the last thing is when I have time to invest in hobbies. So uh, I love to cook and to bake. You should follow my food Instagram. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, And I've gotten very into not only making food, but taking photos of it, Um, learning to shoot on manual and stuff in my camera. So if you are a big photographer person and you know how to shoot in manual and can give me some tips, please let me know. Um, I run, like I mentioned, training for a half marathon um, and lots of podcasts. I am a big, big NPR fan. Like NPR is one of those fandoms that I have subscribed to for actually an incredibly long time. Like like Hamilton, I, there are certain fandoms that I'm just so deeply immersed into and NPR is one of them. And I've been thriving off of that um particularly also to you know get my news during quarantine that's been amazing but what about you i feel like all of that sounds so healthy and structured and i respect (laughs) that so much and i think like i am also the kind of person that definitely needs routine and schedule because i very much dislike when my days start to blend together yeah. And for me, that's a sign that things are going badly. Um, <laughs> and I guess right now I have like the classic nine to five job and whatnot. So that takes up a pretty good chunk of my day. But what's nice is I don't really have to start work until 10 if I don't want to. So a few days so far, I've tried to take Sadithi's advice and go on a morning run. And I will validate her completely by saying it does change your life and it really opens up the morning and the day to be so much better because it's the only time that I personally actually get outside, get fresh air and experience something that's not sitting at my desk and looking at my computer. So I highly recommend it. Even if you're not a runner like me, as in like, I am not a runner. I can't (laughs) run a half mile without needing to stop and walk and pant for a bit. But even then, like, just taking the time to go on a walk even, listen to some music, maybe a podcast, maybe this podcast. It really does get your day started on a really, really pleasant note. Also because in the morning, it's usually much cooler out before it gets really hot later. Mm. Highly recommend. Um, But I think that's one way that I have definitely kept sane. But in general, I'd say the most important thing is finding some way to take some time to yourself. So even if you wanted to try journaling like Sadithi, I actually think that's a great idea. I personally don't enjoy writing things down at all. So it's not my kind of thing. But what's nice about that as a concept is that it's taking the time to just like think, reflect, 
focus on yourself for a minute. And I think that's really important. So my way of doing that is literally sitting in bed and watching TikToks. That is time to myself. And I do that multiple times a day. Some might consider that a waste of time. I think it's me time. Some people take baths. I go on social media. So I think everyone just needs to find that one thing that feels like you're doing this just for your own personal enjoyment and do it for at least a few minutes every day. And I think that is the one thing that will really help balance out that shift from your normal day-to-day life versus quarantine life. I know. I totally agree. I think be kind to yourself. Like Be so kind to yourself. This is a rough time. Yeah. It's very easy. I think it's, it's like, I think maybe some of you will listen to my list and be like, that's so many things like, like I could never do that. I would be lying to you if I said that I do all of these things every single day. And I would be lying to you if I said that I didn't, you know, some days just like not want to run. Some days I, Mm -hmm. I skip journaling for like days at a time. Like this is like, again, disclaimer, a loose structure of things that generally make me feel better. But it is not the point where like, it is not like I have become dependent on them to the point where if I don't do them, I don't feel okay. But it's all about finding balance and Mm -hmm. be kind to yourself. Yes. On the note of kind of food that we mentioned earlier, um, we have another question from a listener who asks us, what do you like to cook, especially as you get older? Do you find that you are moving closer or further away to wanting the, to wanting to cook the food your parents may have made? So either, what are your thoughts? I think that's a really good question. I think especially for our specific ages, like we're in college, slowly growing up, starting to have to cook for ourselves when we're not home in quarantine. And I think what I noticed is that because I generally have been trying to live a healthier lifestyle, I do try to cook healthier Um, I don't think my parents pay as much attention to that. So that's been a bit of a shift from when I've been home specifically. I also just generally try to cook healthier foods, whatever that might mean for a person so that I can really treat eating out as like a luxury or something that I've earned as opposed to something that's like just kind of casual and normal. Um, I also am a bit lazy, so I don't like to do anything too fancy, specifically at school because my kitchen there is not the nicest. When I'm home, I definitely like to experiment more because I have access to a big kitchen and my parents' fridge and pantry. Um, But when I think when it, specifically to the question about like home food versus your own thing, I very much need a balance. Like I love home food as in like Indian food and South Indian food specifically. That's what I grew up with. That's the comfort food. And I can't imagine going like even a few days without some form of it. Even when I'm at school, I'm lucky that my parents are close enough to bring me food here and there. So I like to vary it up, but I can't eat it every day. It's more so that when I've been home, I've really actually been trying to learn how to make more Indian food because I think about food as a really, really good way to like share traditions and sharing a meal with someone is so powerful in a lot of ways. And like when I have my own family, when I have my own kids, I can't imagine them not growing up with the same kinds of comfort foods that I did. And so I think that if I take the time to learn them now, even if it's not a daily thing, like eating Indian food every single day, I think it'd be really important to have that knowledge of how to do it so that I never have to lose sight of that really important part of the culture to me. But also in general, I'm not a huge fan of cooking. I'm more of a baker. For example, my biggest plans tonight are to bake cupcakes for a family thing tomorrow. And that's what I'm really excited about because I find it so much more entertaining and that's what I like. Um, But in general, I'd say I definitely want a balance, but more than anything, I want to be able to pass the traditions down. 
Yeah, that's interesting you? you say that. Yeah, I mean, the point that you said about, you know, learning to cook Indian food, I think that's that in itself is what's challenging because so confusing. Yeah. And I think the way that most people, our parents' generation cook is very intuitively. My mom mm-hmm. is the main person who cooks in our house. Uh, she is an incredible cook, but really cooking is like, it's, she doesn't really think about it. She is the, the kind of person who can like open the fridge, see what vegetables they have and what like, you know, lentils and whatever and like base ingredients that we have and then just kind of like not throw something together that sounds unintentional but she just kind of like can whip something up in her mind um they can look at a fridge and come up with a recipe in their heads without having to think about it there's no measurements needed because also when you think about it a lot of indian food is very standard in terms of like the baseline ingredient and you can just like add any vegetable or add Mm. like paneer or whatever meat you want yeah but they've done so often for so many years that it's a habit and you can learn it once and do it once but that's not enough to memorize it and make it feel intuitive no and what I think is the most challenging part of all of that is like I so background I do love to cook and bake and I've been learning how to do it for I think I would say like seriously now for about two years um not just like follow a recipe but learning about like proper technique and ingredients from around the world it's kind of like I've just been working towards building a knowledge base around it. It's a hobby, but it's also, um, like Suita also said, it's this way. It's like learning to cook properly was a huge part of developing like a physically healthy and balanced lifestyle. I was also, especially my freshman year of college, like, oh, the biggest takeout eater in like a terrible, terrible way. Like it didn't make me feel good. And so a part of becoming, you know, more physically healthy was learning to cook my own food. Um, and when I cook, I usually make just a lot more like plant-based stuff. I often will, I have a couple of like, they're strictly vegan food blogs, but I often like will substitute in certain things. Um, I eat a mostly plant-based diet, but I would absolutely not classify myself as vegan, but I tend to draw on like a lot of source materials from those. And I can, in that realm of like, I'm saying this all in air quotes, healthy, air quotes, plant-based, that kind of type of food where it's like kind of culturally ambiguous, but it's just generally whole foods based, whatever that means. I can kind of riff on stuff and like produce something there. Here's an example. We had like dry pasta, frozen peas, and like a bunch of herbs. And I was like, oh, mom, we could make, could totally make like a cold pasta salad with like peas and like a mint and tahini sauce and like something like that. Is that what you mean by culturally ambiguous? Yeah, I would say, yeah. Like what Like what culture is that from? Like the pasta is Italian. The tahini is like okay, arguably so kind Middle of just Eastern. Mixing ingredients depending yes. on what works. Yeah. And like, so I get the, that. Yeah. and it's, that is like that kind of a combination of like mint peas and tahini was something that I heard about um, through this process of learning. A popular chef that I love to follow, her name is Samin Nasrat. She's wrote this incredible cookbook salt fat acid heat if you've the documentary yes the netflix documentary oh my god everyone has to watch that it's amazing she samin is like a light she's adorable she's adorable and she's brilliant and like she also just has like i don't know she's like such a positive person in this whole like food media sphere which i follow a lot so anyway that was kind of a recipe she shared on a podcast she was running herself called home cooking i will also link to that but she said that she made a soup using these ingredients. So then I was like, oh, well, we can make a pasta salad out of it. This is a long tangent. But what I'm trying to say is those kinds of recipes I could probably produce. But when it comes to Indian food and like knowing the proportions of spices, no, 
Like it will, I, it will be super spicy probably. If you let me, if you just hand me like one of those like spice tins, you know, the metal ones that we all have in our houses, my food will probably just be incredibly spicy. I love spicy food and not everyone else loves spicy food. So I have a ways, I have a ways to go there, but we're working on it. Okay. Um, so maybe let's go to the next question. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and read it? This question's pretty nice and simple. Just feelings on the nine to five question mark. Um, I guess I should start with this one because I'm working the nine to five. Yes, you should. Um, And so I've been currently very stressed out, to be completely honest, in deciding what kind of career I want, what kind of career lifestyle I want, and like that balance of like how important is my job versus how important is the lifestyle that that job gives me. And so that then leads into this other question of, do I want my job to be the thing that I'm passionate about? Or do I want my job to be something that I do that I tolerate so that I can then have the money and the time to work on my passions? And that's definitely something I've been struggling with. And I think it's just so happens to work out that I am genuinely very passionate about healthcare, but I don't know exactly what that means and how that's going to manifest itself into a career because there's so many different options out there. And I think what I've learned to appreciate about the nine to five more so than anything is that there are such defined hours that you are on the job and reporting to the company or the boss, whoever it is, and then you're done. At five o'clock, most of the time you can punch out and then you know that for the rest of the evening or even the rest of the weekend, You don't have to think once about the work that you're supposed to be doing because it's confined into those hours and no one expects anything else of you. And in a way that is really, really relaxing. So for example, today's a Friday. I have the day off because of the long weekend. When I clocked out of work yesterday, I was so relieved. And that wouldn't happen if I had a less or a more free form kind of job, right? I used to work for a startup where I worked remotely most of the time. And because it was a startup, it was very fast. People were working all the time. I'd get messages at like 6 p.m., 6 a.m., whenever people happened to be on the job. And so I never fully got a mental break unless I was on a proper vacation. And that was honestly really stressful to just always have the same job on my mind, even when I was doing other things, because there were no strict hours. Um, And so I think whether or not you're passionate about the job that you're doing, that level of stress does matter a lot. Um, but I personally am definitely leaning towards this concept of the nine to five, even though I know it gets a very bad rep because I think as long as the job you're doing day to day isn't super repetitive, it won't feel like that classic stereotype of like the desk job that's meaningless. Um, so like for example, the job I do, I do something a little bit different every single day and it keeps me engaged and then I'm done for the day. And that's really nice. Um, so the, on the other hand, has probably a very different view on this, um, yeah. especially since I know, like, obviously you're going into medicine. Um, you don't have as much control over the hours. Yeah. And I guess in residency, you could work like 80 hours weeks and that yeah. would be normal. Yeah. I A couple of things that you said actually really resonated with me. I mean, the first point about like medicine and a career, which is generally not nine to five. I think this idea of the nine to five, kind of like what you were saying is like, how do you, I think this question maybe to me reads more about like, what do you think about like the structured workday when you have a set start time and a set end time? Um, 
that's not necessarily that. I mean, that is the case in some medical specialty special specialties that are mostly outpatient. Um, when it comes to things that are inpatient, and by that I mean outpatient is like your private practice. Like you go to your you know doctor once a year and you get your checkup. That's like an outpatient thing. Inpatient is in the hospital, basically. Um, a lot of specialties that I'm potentially interested in would be located in the hospital, and even within that, there's a lot of variety. So the types of things that I'm interested in would probably require shift work. So that means that you work like, uh, it kind of depends really about where you are in your career, but let's say, you know, residency side, and I'm, it's like later on in my life, I'm probably working about three to four shifts a week. Um, and then I'm off for full days. So that's going to look very, very different. I think to a nine to five, um, I think that will be a whole new set of challenges of figuring about like how there won't really be this concept of the weekend anymore. And I think that's what will be really different. Um, I would say to you, listener, if you're asking, maybe if you're wondering kind of, if you're maybe apprehensive about the idea of this kind of very, very structured, maybe mundane lifestyle, I would say that going back to the idea of routine, that that gives me a lot of, you know, that grounds me a lot. It, and as a part of the routine, I will keep preaching this is like the idea of doing exercise in the morning before you work and feeling like you can invest in yourself before you're answering to somebody else and like putting time into making yourself feel better and taking care of yourself before you're investing energy into some, somebody else, or maybe just something that's bigger than you. Um, that's like very therapeutic in my opinion, but also something you said, Suita, about like, I think the first point you made was about are you working because that's your passion or are you working just to make money into something else your passion? I listened to this video or watched this video today. This guy on YouTube, he's a, I'll link his YouTube channel in the show notes also. He's a doctor. I think he's like just finishing his like residency stage in the UK and he's now considering moving to the US to do his residency. So he's like taking all, basically to do this, you have to take a bunch of entrance exams and whatever. And he describes this as he, like, he kind of describes his approach to his career in a very unique way. And maybe this is like food for thought for you is that he did about six years of medical school in the UK, like you do, and then two years of training. But he said, but he makes so much money off of his internet stuff. Granted, he has a pretty big YouTube channel. I think he has like 800,000 something subscribers. He makes Skillshare classes. He has like two or three different like little startup things going. He is like big on the internet. He also has a podcast, FYI. Um, But he makes so much money off of all of those things that he can, he would eventually like to post-residency only practice medicine about three days a week. He's just, he says that medicine for him, he wants it to be a, he literally says fun thing and not his main source of making money. Which is crazy, right? Like I thought you- that's so insane considering the amount of time and money and energy that goes into being a doctor. Yeah. But, but I also guess like it seems like obviously I don't know who this person is, but it mm-hmm. seems like a YouTube channel and all the different things kind of revolve around him being a doctor. And yeah, it's background. So I guess sort of wouldn't be able to do those things without that same education. It that sort that of. So his yeah, for context, I don't want to like make this an entire question about him specifically, but basically he makes YouTube videos. It started off as like, oh, I'm a medical student and like this is my life. But since then it's turned mainly into videos about productivity in general. So he like reads a lot of books and listens to podcasts and shares stuff about like how to just generally be more productive. That kind of expands into like mm-hmm. tech and whatever. Um, 
so it's material that would kind of be applicable whether he was doing his medical training or not. But to him, I think he he views medicine as like his, it's this kind of disconnect to me. Like he views medicine as like his main passion in life. Like what he's like most, I say, academically interested in, but he makes so much money off of these like passive income streams or yeah, like side hustles, I guess that those are actually what provide the majority of his income right now anyway. So he's never going to really need medicine. And I think this is a whole other thing about like in the, you know, in this age of social media, the idea of having a side hustle and about having multiple income streams and like how that can shape your career into being something that's not the nine to five. That's not what our parents did where you work five days a week and you have two days off. Like this guy's career is probably going to look very different and maybe, you know, in the future in our generation, careers are going to look like that mm-hmm. in general because we have the internet and the internet is actually a pretty great way of making money if you invest the time into it. But that's that very is, true. Yeah. But also I feel like the way that things are currently, at least the way that I'm viewing it is I see the majority of my adult life revolving around my career mm-hmm. simply because whether it's a nine to five or whether it's like, even if I decide to be a doctor, right? So mm-hmm. much of your week, like the majority of your week is going to be spent on that career. Yeah. So more than anything, when you're thinking about careers or like lifestyle, think about the idea that that decision that you're making is going to affect a large chunk of your time. Yeah. But I think what Saditi said is really important that like it, with her example, even if she's working all these crazy hours that she can't necessarily control, she can still find a way to bring routine into that lifestyle. And on the opposite end, let's say I was like, the kind of person that likes variety and all these different things, even with a nine to five job, all of that time that I do have off, I can use to make my life a little bit crazy. So I feel like the structure of the job isn't as important as enjoying the work that you're doing. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, Let's read the next question. Should I read it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. The, the next listener asks us, this is a, this is a heavy header. Mm. Uh, they ask us, has your image or understanding of who you are fundamentally changed over the course of college? And if it has, how? There's a lot to unpack here. Do you want to take it away? Sure. We both have so much to say about this. I have so much to say. Yeah. So starting off, I think that if your understanding of who you are doesn't change at this age of your life, that's concerning. And let me tell you why, right? At the age of 18, you have spent your entire life under someone else's rules and yeah, under someone else's rules and going off to college or whatever you end up doing post high school is the first time most likely that you're really on your own and thinking for yourself without that burden of family responsibility right over right over you, right? And so I think for me personally, I don't think I really had any idea of what was actually important to me or who I was until I went to college and started becoming my own person. Um, And I think part of that goes into the saying of you're the combination of the five people you spend the most time with. And I think I really, really fit into that my entire life, right? I fit into the expectations of my family. I fit into the people I spent the most time with because I was too young to really feel confident in my own thoughts and my own personality. And so I didn't really have that much that was particularly unique to me. Most of my personality was just the things that I kind of pulled from all the different people around me. And then I got to college and I met all of these incredible people 
who were so confident in who they were and the things that they cared about. And I think it was those kinds of people that pushed me to also really finally feel confident in what I cared about and what I thought was important, what I believed. And I think on top of that, college more than ever is definitely the time that I've struggled the most in my life, whether that be with relationships, my mental health, my academics. I have objectively failed so many times, my standards and normal standards, like I have failed. And that's okay. (laughs) Because every time that happened, I learned something about myself, about either my priorities or what I needed to change or what I'd been doing wrong, right? I learned that I had been a pushover. I learned that my feelings of self-worth had to start with me rather than seeking validation from others. And I think what I learned was that that was the most important part was that for me, my understanding of who I am is really reflected in the relationships that I have. And if I have strong relationships with the people that I care about, I'm doing well. And that's the most important thing for me. And like, I define myself by those relationships rather than anything specific or like tangible or interests or like anything like that. Um, I had really good role models for the first time ever that really taught me to stand up for myself and allow myself to have opinions, feel confident to share them and to really believe that I had something unique to offer. And that is not something I had before the age of 18. Um, And I think that is 100% the most fundamental change that I've gone through And I think that a lot of people go through because it's the first time you're really like growing up properly. Hmm. Um, And I feel like, what do you think? Where are you at with this? I mean, I, yeah, I was like, mm-hmm, to your, what you were saying at the end about relationships. Cause I think that's what I've definitely found to be the most true. Um, It was, I would say less of like a before college, after college kind of a thing. I would say that my kind of this kind of interaction between my relationships and my self-image was kind of a more of a, it's like a more linear thing. And so I'll explain that. I think the point that Sutha makes reminds me of uh, something that I heard on a podcast, another podcast. You can tell how, how many, many pod- podcasts yeah. she mention. So many podcasts. Um, if anyone's listening and wants to start like tallying every time I name drop. It could drop, be a drinking uh, game. Every time I name drop another podcast, feel free to do so. I think you'd have a lot of fun. Um, but anyway, on another podcast called Forever 35 that I also love, um, they mentioned this principle. Uh, it's a psychology principle. So they were interviewing someone who worked with like a psychology, I think like grad student or whatever, to write a book about self-image. And this principle states that the degree of social empowerment that you feel relates, like is directly proportional to your self-image. Um, so the more socially empowered you feel, and by that I mean not just like socially empowered by your peers, but your family, your relatives, whoever that may be for you, whoever is in your close net socially, um, how empowered they make you feel relates directly to how good you feel about yourself. And I've absolutely found that to be true. It's been, I would say, a pretty steady uphill climb since high school with that. So by that, I mean my freshman year of high school, for context, I was here in the U.S. Um, I would say that, you know, social life was just like not great. And that's fine. Like, it's not that I'm like, you know, deeply sad or like regretting that, but that's just kind of how it was at the time. Um, And I think that I just didn't feel great about myself as a result. Um, But then summer after freshman year, I moved to Switzerland. I did my remaining three years of high school there. um, And I got incredibly lucky. Uh, I want to stress that luck thing. Like a lot of these things about relationships and how they affect you, uh, I want to kind of eliminate the language that like you have so much control over it. Like it's, it's, 
it's kind of a dicey thing to explain. I'm not trying to say that you don't have control over how you feel over yourself. That's absolutely not what I'm trying to say. But what I am trying to say is that there's a lot of external and environmental factors which will affect how you view yourself. And sometimes a lot of those things are out of your control. So like, for example, it wasn't your choice to move to Switzerland and to suddenly be surrounded by these new people, but it was your choice to choose who to spend your time with out of the people that happen to be around you, right? Yes, exactly. I feel like that's a good way of kind of breaking it down, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, Yeah, moving to Switzerland was like, you know, just because of like my family. Um, But uh, when I got there, I was so fortunate in my school that I went to to make some just really incredible friends, really close, uh, strong, very empowering friendships. And I'm still so close to actually so many of those people today. And it was, yeah, that sense of like empowerment and acceptance. um, I think some like a specific aspect, a specific aspect of that was um, how empowered I felt as a South Asian. Um, that was kind of like a new and unique thing for me. Um, and then in college, you know, it, it went on to uh, get even better. So I met even more um, incredible people. College is obviously a lot bigger. Um, I went. To I definitely first. relate to that so much. Yeah, you. It's it's crazy how the transition from going to a very small school where I still found like I had still felt I had a really great net of people, how that net that, you know, the size of my close net at college is just kind of like exponentially bigger just because we go to a, you know, decently sized school. And so there is, so upon coming to college within the first year, I would say I met some of like the people who I'm still closest to and probably will be closest to from college. And it, more even beyond just like making close friendships it was like these senses of the sense of communities that i found in college and these communities um really really lifted me up and really empowered me and so overall what that has resulted in is just feeling um i don't know empowered and accepted and like this getting support i think to working to you know become the best version of myself i kind of alluded to um really making some like drastic lifestyle changes. I think I felt so empowered to do that and to share that with people around me because I knew all these people supported me. And so if I, you know, like if, it, if I talked about, oh, I did this and this great thing and it made me feel so good, like I would, that would, I would get a positive response and that would pr- prompt me to do more. And so it's kind of, it's like a very symbiotic relationship. And um, I want to like stress the value of that. And in college, I think... College is not like an easy thing at all. I would say that we both have really, really found that to be true. Struggled a lot uh-huh. in college. <laughs> um, like a lot. <laughs> oh my God. A lot. How much can I stress this? But what I will say is that because of this support of the people around me, um, I think I really definitely learned to understand myself better, my opinions better. Um, and through these periods of struggle, how to be kind to myself. It is very, like, we were talking about this in a previous question. Like, it'd be very easy. College is a, I say that college is hard because, at least for me, college is really hard because it's just such a big transition. It was, like, a cultural change, a, just so many changes that I had never really anticipated. And so in a period that can feel, you know, kind of low, um, where you're not, you know, making these big strides all the time that like maybe you you were used to previously doing, it can be very easy to just like blame yourself for a lot of that. And it was the support of people around me that reminded me to, you know, that, like it, this is hard and it's okay that it's hard. And if you, you know, you're putting in the work and it's going to get better. Um, and that kind of messaging 
really, really helped. So my takeaway from this or for you listener is just um, as much as you can and as much as possible is possible for you, um, surround yourself by people who love you and who support you in your journey of personal growth um, such that, you know, no matter how, you know, hard the external circumstances can get, whether that be in college or, you know, post-college or pre-college or whatever, that you have people who like lift you up and you'll feel better about yourself. I think in turn, that's what I found to be true. I think that's absolutely so important and so well said, but I also just wanted to add to that, that yes, it is so important to have incredible people around you who push you forward, but it's also really important to also to start internally yeah. and make sure that your feelings of social empowerment or self-worth are not dependent oh, on yes. the people around you. Yes. Because naturally, people come and go. Yes. Obviously, some friendships are lifelong. That's amazing. But as long as that those feelings of self-worth start inside, regardless of any negative changes mm. around you, at least you'll always have that to start with. And that takes time. And maybe someone around you will help you get to that point. And that's where, like, that is where the focus has to be, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just yeah, that I, that was not at all what I'm trying to say is like, no, I'm dependent on people around way. you. Yeah. I think, I guess, maybe to explain it just a tiny bit better for like one more minute is that it's like the social empowerment brings you this sense of self worth that you eventually over time are able to internalize and then it yes. just stays there. And then yes. people come and go, like, I moved, for example. I wasn't in Switzerland forever. I left, but this, the, you know, this like dramatic improvement in my, you know, self-image stayed with me as I moved and as I entered college. And then it only got better. I think you amazing. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Right. You you'll, you'll just get it, and then you'll hold on to it, and you'll never yes. let go of it. Um, that's how I. Yeah. That's how exactly what I'm trying to say. Um, amazing. Yeah. All right. Last question of the day. This one's oh, this a is a fun, fun one. one. This is a fun one. Suda, why don't you read it? Okay, I'm excited. What is the safest and most efficient way to get rid of mustache hair or facial hair? Great question. Um, okay. What's your hot take? Um, I would say that it's a pretty lukewarm take, but my <laughs> my uh, preferred method of getting rid of mustache hair because well, mustache hair specifically. This question asks I okay. Let's break this down. For mustache hair, I use wax. So and normally in like, you know, pre-corona or whatever, I would get, and then kind of to answer the facial hair question also, I thread my eyebrows, but then when I go to the salon, I ask them to wax my mustache. That is strange, I know, but my it was like just my mom who took me to get my eyebrows studded for the first time. And then I was like, well, should I ask them to thread my upper lip also? She was like, no, I think that'll hurt too much. And she's like, wax will just be quicker because it's just like one, two, three, basically the way that the ladies do it at the salon I go to, it's like an Indian run, like a, you're pretty, you're like standard South Asian salon that you think of. Um, they just do it like in, I think less than a minute. It's pretty painless. Um, so that's what I do normally. She said painless. Well, that's how Come I on. feel. I've, I've, okay. That's terrifying waxing, to me. Really, context of waxing for me is that I've been doing it for quite a long time. Um, so I've gotten quite used to it. And then right now, um, since I'm obviously not going out to a salon or anything like that, I, and even in general, sometimes it's hard to get down to a salon. Like we're in college, we're busy. Um, mm-hmm. So 
I would usually just use those. They're, I mean, not just Sally Hansen makes them literally like you can get like the CVS brand or whatever of your standard wax strip. I often will like cut them into little, little pieces, um, like probably the size of like maybe like an inch or two long. And like you buy a box and it'll last you for a really, really long time. And I do it every I mean, I would be lying if I said that I was very regular with this. I would say that I do it and then I just leave it and then I wake up one fine morning and I'm like, oh, my mustache is back. And then I wax it off. And that's usually about three weeks later. Um, but you are shaking your head. What do you have to say about this? I'm just shocked. So I have very sensitive skin and mm. I am South Indian, so I have a lot of hair. Mm. Um, naturally, I, had a, I have a unibrow, very thick bushy eyebrows. So I started getting my eyebrows threaded in the seventh grade Yeah, when I was like 12 years old, which I guess would could be considered early for some people. I think I got mine, the, I got, think I got mine done about a year after that. I think yeah. that's pretty average. And it was us. super painful at first. Yeah. But the one time I tried to wax my mustache hairs, it literally r- ripped out a chunk of my skin. Okay. What does that mean? Like, like um, I'm trying to think of like, like the first, like the top layer of my skin ripped off with the wax strip. And it was like red and like bleeding, and it was just like as if I had like an open wound. That's quite unusual. I will say, like that doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound that's, fun. That but that's sounds... why I'm terrified of waxing. Uh, okay. And, okay. Yeah. So that's why I stick to threading or tweezing. Even does that not? Um, okay. Does that not hurt though? Like threading, I am still. I'm a contact wearer. Same. And when you go to these like South Asian beauty salons, they will make you lean back at most salons. They make you lean back and you're staring into this like white tube light. And then see, I close my eyes. So I close my eyes too, but it's still, but the light seeps in. And then I'm like, they start threading and especially not on the top of your like here, but like I'm pointing to my brow bone, I would say. Um, It definitely hurts, but I think the difference is that like, so my, I think my skin has built up a resistance to it because like I okay. when I was younger, I used to cry every single time. I still cry. And now I've gotten used to it. Whereas like the one time I did the waxing, it was like literally um, like injured me, right? Um, and I'm sure if you don't have as sensitive skin as mine, you'd also become resilient to it in the same way that I became resilient to threading. Mm. But I was only able to get resilient to threading because it's not as direct of an impact on the skin. Right. Um, right I've right. also heard that threading is better for the skin. I don't have the science behind this, so don't like quote mm. me, but that's what I've heard unless the wax is done properly. Um, I know the tweezing is horrible for your skin because you get the ingrown hairs and whatnot. I do it yeah. anyway because I'm very, very um, aggro with my, like I tweeze my eyebrows every single morning without Oh, hair. wow. That's why, that's why they look like this. Do you see the curve? I'm really proud If you of see it. my eyebrows, my eyebrows are extremely bushy these days. <laughs> I'm very, very prideful of my eyebrows because I'm terrified of the concept of a unibrow now. Mm, okay. Um, but that's my take. I tend to stay away from things like waxing, but I do think it's a personal choice. It definitely. Oh, absolutely. There was- it's also, waxing is also more accessible because you can do it at home. Yes. You can also learn to thread on your own. I personally can't do it. No, so no, I no. have this little device thing where it's like kind of a oh, coil. The coil thing? Yeah, oh, I've explained this before. I don't know. My mom got this off like Amazon or something, but it weirdly works. And it essentially like you twist this coil on your skin and it like rips out the hairs as oh if you're threading. Um, so How that's what I use on my face. The shape there? Oh, I don't use it on my eyebrows. Oh, I do it okay. for the face. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, there's also these things like those epilators 
um, and those like tiny little razors, all good options. Those, 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 those. Yeah. I've heard that waxing and threading are definitely the best for your skin long-term. Yes. The razor thing I was going to mention because I think it was like early high school. I went through this big like beauty YouTuber phase and like I remember seeing somebody do that. It's these, to those who've never heard of it, it's these razors which are like a single blade not your like traditional idea of like what you use to shave your legs but like Like a a very small tiny one yeah and it's like on an angle and basically the way the women do it is like i don't even know if she applied anything to her face she just wet her face and you just like pull your skin and basically kind of do like a downward sort of gentle dragging motion and Mm -hmm. this woman was much much lighter skin than we are so she was using it to get rid of like peach fuzz that she had on like her cheeks and stuff like that but I don't know I I mean I thought that I have never tried anything like that because I think I would cut myself Um, I don't trust that no I mean I think just the like I just the idea of like putting a blade directly on my cheek or something I just feel like I could cut myself quite easily um but if you are you know brave of heart you can also try that um but yeah threading oof i cry every time like they make fun of me like my eyes are just it, it's just like i'm just bawling every time and they laugh i've at definitely me. gotten used to it but the other benefit of waxing actually even though obviously i don't wax is that it's like a one-time pain and you're yes. done yes. threading is like they're literally getting to every single uh, hair so it's very very precise which is why i definitely prefer it for eyebrows i agree um, you can still get your eyebrows waxed. Yes, you can. I think it just might not be as precise. And my fear with it is like, what if they do it wrong and they accidentally yes. rip off a huge chunk of hair, whereas threading is much slower? Yes. I'd also be really curious to hear like what our listeners do. Maybe we could put a poll on our Instagram story or something. Yes. That could I'm be also interesting. I'm really curious because I think it also might depend on like cultural background. Like I know mm-hmm. threading is very common in South Asia. Waxing, I think, is really common in like America. And maybe it depends on the type of hair that you have as well. So I'm really mm-hmm. curious what's like how that changes. I also would love to hear from the people who thread their own faces. That is like – I can't do it. I've tried to no, learn so I many times either. and my fingers just don't move the right way with the pattern that you need. I don't get it. Like I, I look at these women and it, it they just look like they're like clamping. But it's also like you move your fingers back and forth and I can't – I just realize finger movements in the air – um, but it doesn't look, it shouldn't be that difficult to do like your face eyebrows. I understand. Cause that's shape and that's confusing. But how do you like but twist your arms practice, like you that when you're like, like, you oh, know, you true. gotta like twist your arms into a weird angle to get like your, um, that's a good point. I don't know. I, I don't know it also, but I'm going to end this, you know, tangent about threading in a second, but is it, is it a special kind of thread? Like what makes the thread? It's just thread. Thread is really sharp. So it's it. So you take the thread, you tie it in a loop, and then you twist it a bunch of times. And so the twisty part is the part that's like catches on your the skin. hair. Yeah. The way that I've maybe I am misunderstanding the mechanics of threading. What I thought was that it like basically grips your hair in such a way that it like is clamped between the two, and it kind of like twists and pulls out. I think that is what happens. Okay. Whereas waxing, it's like this wax is like sticking to your hair, and the wax right. pulls off, and then so you it's just like pull simple. it off. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Hmm. But yeah, if anyone has any other tips for Please interesting tools that we could be using in the in the queue when we can't go to our wonderful trusted eyebrow ladies, I'm definitely Please down to hear know. it. Please um, let us know. This was a very long discussion about mustache hair. Yeah, yeah. But hey, that is what we that is what we promised them in the description. We so. did. We did. 
I hope that people enjoyed it. Um, okay. I think that concludes everything for today. Um, yes. thank, thank you so much, dear listeners, for making it all this way. If you are still here, we appreciate you so much. Um, if you are interested in any of the uh, products or resources that we mentioned, I think we mentioned a couple mm-hmm. each, um, and some podcasts that we enjoy and stuff like that, we will be linking everything in our show notes, which you can find on our website, Silent lotus pod i just blanked there silentlotuspod.com wow that was embarrassing um and follow us on social media mm-hmm. at silent lotus pod do you see that you have anything else you want to tell yeah me? look out for our next episode i think we'll be talking yes. about things like sleep skincare yeah men all these different things yeah definitely keep submitting your questions we love reading them and hearing from you and yes. hearing what you guys want to be hearing um yeah. so keep those questions coming Thanks so much for listening. Yeah, that's everything. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Silent Lotus. Stay in touch with us on Instagram or Twitter at Silent Lotus Pod. And submit your questions on our website at silentlotuspod.com. Your question might be featured in a future episode. Thanks, and see you next week.